Hello, hello. Welcome back to the No Regrets Podcast. I'm your host, Kai Taylor. Today on the show, we've got a really good bloke. He's actually got his own podcast called the Bradley J. Drybra Experience. I found this podcast and reached out to Brad just to show some admiration for him. Um, and after a series of conversations, he agreed to come onto the show. In this episode, we have a detailed chat about his life story as well as how he lives with a life-threatening illness. Brad also talks about his personal motivations to live a happy life as well as the decision he made to quit his job and pursue podcasting. So I was pretty inspired by Brad before this episode, but after hearing about his story in more detail, I'm super inspired by him. He's just a great bloke, and what he's been through has really made him an amazing person. So I think you'll really enjoy this episode. So we'll roll the intro and get into the show. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the No Regrets Podcast. I'm your host, Kai Taylor. And today on the show, I've got with me a great bloke. I'm actually very excited to get him on. He's actually got his own podcast. So I'm, you know, happy to give him the chance to sit back and, you know, tell his story a little bit. His name's Bradley Drybra. Uh, Brad, how are you, mate? Mate, I'm very well. Thanks for having me. No worries. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate your time. Um, yeah, let's just get into it. How about you just, you know, it's your turn to sort of story tell, which would be nice, I imagine. So it is. go nice ahead, tell it. us about you. Mate, I was so casual this morning knowing that I didn't have to set anything up. I forgot to plug my mic in. Except <laughs> when you come on screen, I was like, fucking idiot, get my mic. Uh, <laughs> mate, I'm, I'm really well. Life's good at the moment. I've um, sort of COVID's been a really sort of blessed period for me. It's I sort of planned to finish up work and resign two months before, or probably about a month before she'd hit the fan. And mm. It was kind of nice because on my way out, I kind of knew I was leaving anyway, so there wasn't a real stress for me to drum up a lot of business when I was selling houses and I kind of got to ease off my last month of work and really wanted to focus this period on just getting my health right again and being happy and getting life back on track. And I tell you, like, what a four months it's been. I feel feel great, man, to be honest with you. Like, I feel probably the best I've felt in years, um, health-wise, happiness-wise, everything, it's just nice when life is sort of coming together. But, yeah, I guess to give you an overview, to answer your question, 24 years old, uh, live in Wollongong, Australia, which it's the gong, we yeah. call it God's God's country over here. Um, it's a beautiful spot on the beach. If anyone doesn't know it, it's just an hour south of Sydney. But life is good here, man. On the beach every day, the weather's pretty moderate, probably a little bit warmer than it is down there in Ballarat. And Yeah, it's, it's pretty um, cold now. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. But I've been swimming every day in the ocean, so... I can't. Yeah, no, nah, I couldn't do that. Here. So, but yeah, then, nah. just yeah, like just a simple guy to be honest with you. I, you know, I've had some health complications, which I'm sure we'll talk about later in the show. But yeah, um, very like just loving life at the moment. So that's the overview. Perfect, man. Did you grow up in Wollongong? I did. So I've been here twenty. I've lived here twenty three of my twenty four years of life. So it's it's yeah. a very easy place to be comfortable. It's. It's, if you don't know Wollongong, it's hard to explain. It's probably, I think it's probably about 400,000 citizens here now that live yeah. in Wollongong every day. And, and when I say Wollongong, that's a greater region of about, you know, a, a space with about an hour's worth of radius um, around the outskirts, sort of north, south and west. But it's yeah. just a beautiful place to live because it's surrounded by beaches and mountains. Like you've got mountains 2Ks to your west and the beach right on your east and you're an hour from Sydney 
Um, but it's mm. not busy like Sydney. It's just a very peaceful place to enjoy life growing up and also a place you can have great career and opportunities too. So pretty blessed yeah. to be here, man. Yeah, I'll have to come up one day. I've never been there. Mate, so. Definitely. I think I think it would actually surprise a lot of people. I feel like yeah. the mayor of Wollongong when I say this, but I'm always <laughs> trying to pitch for people to come to Wollongong because it's such a good spot. Like it's so underrated. Yeah. It just yeah. has everything you need. has everything you need to have a very good life, I think. Yeah, and the fact that you can swim every day in winter is like perfect. Don't get me wrong. I, I go down and get out of the water this morning. Everyone's looking at me like, who's this psychopath? Wollongong um, <laughs> still feels cold, of course, because we're acclimatized to those sort of warmer months. But it's um, yeah. man, it's still pretty mild, to be honest. Like I said, I lived in Melbourne in 2018, so I um, I appreciate the mornings here a whole lot more after that. Yeah, it's pretty um, pretty cold in Melbourne as well. What what did you think of Melbourne? I, to be honest, man, I really enjoy the city of Melbourne. I think it's a very fun yeah. place to live. There's a lot to do. I lived in Elwood, which is a magnificent mm. spot, like so beautiful, and I love the village there at Elwood. Yeah. And my my issue was whilst I was living there, I was probably not the best advocate for living life in Melbourne because all I done was work. I basically worked 12 hours, seven days a week, um, so it made it very hard for yeah. my life. I didn't have any – I went down there one out, so – Lived by myself, had no friends or family down there, only work colleagues and a few friends I made along the way that I really didn't mm. have time to hang out with. So I'm probably not yeah, the best. Okay. Um, people say to me all the time, what should I do when I'm in Melbourne? And I'm like, well, unless you want to go sit in the <laughs> office and pump out emails, I'm the wrong person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you've also got a, a podcast as well, which I want to ask you about uh, in a moment. But before we get there, just tell us a bit about like your working life as a real estate agent. Yeah. Uh, previously before starting your podcast to tell us a bit about that experience how long you're doing it for and yeah. sort of your decisions to leave it in the end yeah it's a, it's a bit of a story so I we've got time I guess um yeah man go nuts I um <laughs> I left school after year 10 so I was pretty you know don't like to put tickets on myself but I was pretty switched on at school I just wasn't the type of person that enjoyed sitting in front of a book and learning mm. in a classroom I'm a very practical human being I love being in conversation and face-to-face with people and out in the world figuring things out for myself and I left school to become a PT and I spent a couple of years doing that which funnily enough like looking back um didn't do much for the rig the last couple of years but it, it done, a lot for, um, done a lot for my ability to build connections and relationships with people of all ages I was a 17 year old yeah. PT with clients that were 14 40 84 was my mm. oldest client and Mate, if you can't have a decent conversation with someone for an hour while you train them, you're probably not going to keep them as a client for much longer. And I I really learned to build relationships with people through all works of life and to motivate people and that led on beautifully. I just didn't see any career progression as a PT unless you've got a huge social following or you specialise in some form of training. Um, So I left PT and... I was looking for, I had a little side hustle business in fitness, which done a little bit, but didn't do huge amounts and um, basically body composition testing. And I sold that equipment and looked for a career that I felt there was actual progression and I could go on for years and years in and, and build a career basically. And everyone said to me, well, you know, fuck, you can talk and you like house, so why don't you go sell real estate? And, you know, is it 20, I think I was 20 years old at the time. And that's a very, that's a very young real estate agent, you know, 20. So 
Mm. I've got the most self-belief of anyone on the planet. So I was like, yeah, 100%, done my course in a week and I got an opportunity with the first people that I sat down with. And so a company called MMJ Real Estate in Wollongong here and probably the richest history in real estate in the area. Um, the company's been around for 50-odd years. So there was a lot of um, maturity and, and stability in that company. So it made sense as a young guy to walk into a crowd that was backed by experience um, yeah. It was going to be helpful and I walked in there and, man, to be honest, like I just ate up that first six months. Like I learned so much and I probably, you know, going into that job, they said it's probably going to take you two years to get to a point where you can actually sell property yourself and my mission was to do it in less than a year and at six months I clocked my first like individual deal and started listing and selling property from there on. But my approach was sort of, you know, as a young guy going in for listings, you can't say that you've got the 20 years experience that your competitors do and yeah. you can't say that you've bought a house yourself or you've sold plenty of properties or when they're saying, oh, I can't meet you at three o'clock because I've got to pick the kids up from school. You know, I'm lucky to look after my dog at this point in time. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's stressful <laughs> enough as it is. So I'm like, I couldn't really relate to people, but what I could do was be more socially present and um, not not even look educated, but educate people in the marketplace as much as possible and build a brand off the back of integrity and decency and just trying to help people as much as possible. So that's where it just started for me really on social where I was doing live videos every week. I was making little property videos. I was having conversations with people, joining in on company competitions and posting heaps of stuff on um, Facebook and Insta. And Mm. I sort of built a little bit of a personal brand to a degree, um, in the real estate space and still young at the time. It was probably 13 months into my career. I got, I sort of met, I sort of chatted to a guy from probably my second week in real estate who was doing some pretty things, big things down in Melbourne, um, and yeah. having a lot of success as a 27 or 26 year old guy at the time. So it was very relatable for me being a guy in my twenties and he started at the same age and he'd sort of seen what I was doing on social. And he said to me, um, said to me once, like he said, oh, you should come down to Melbourne. I sort of brushed it off, you know, like saying, okay, that's what everyone says sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then I met him at a conference out of chance and we just started having a chat and he invited me to go down to Melbourne for a week and work with him in October 2017. So I went down, yeah, it was October 2017. So I went down, I spent a week with him. And, you know, when you're a young guy and everyone's getting around in flash cars you're selling, you know, you're walking into $3 million, $5 million, $15 million houses. Yeah. And, um, and you're like, and don't get me wrong, there's a great property market in Wollongong, but a big sale in Wollongong, like a massive sale in Wollongong is like two mil or, you know, up to sort of four or five mil at most. And most of the stock sits around the high just prior to a million or just over a million for some of the nicer houses. So I thought that mm. experience that I'll never get in Wollongong and my thinking was, whether Melbourne's the rest of my life or it's a couple of years or a year, I can go back and I'm really the only person in Wollongong that's sort of worked in that portion of the market. So as a young guy, yeah, it pulled yeah. me up. And so I took a job to work with them, which was huge because anyone who knows me, man, my family is like I'm a massive sook when I'm away from my family. So I sort of love spending time with them and I love my mates. So it was a big decision to go away by myself and live by myself. But I spent the next... It was early 2018 that I moved. 
and I spent mm. probably about nine months there, um, just shy of a year, working basically 24-7. So I was 12 hours on most days, um, leaving the office at like 9 o'clock. Some nights were bigger, some nights were longer. Sometimes I'd get a, a day where I could leave a bit earlier. And I sort of started to die in the ass towards the end of it because doing that seven days a week becomes very exhausting. So I sort of got to the point where it was, to be honest, it was probably three, four months in where I thought, I can't, I can't make a life here. Like even if I find a partner down here or, you know, mm. I bought a property or started to make a life, you know, what time do I have to spend with those people? And yeah. I really knew that I wanted to be back in Wollongong, but I wanted to continue to learn for a little bit. And at that sort of six, nine months, I felt like I had learned everything I could. And the quicker I could go back home and start building a career and a name for myself back in Wollongong, the better. So I sort of pack my bags, head home, um, pack my bags. It sounds really cliche, big fucking truck, heaps of furniture. It was a pain in the ass. Um, and got back to Wollongong and literally just straight away before I moved back, I probably spent a week here just having meetings with a heap of officers. And mm-hmm. I come back and I thought it's my time to really do this my way. I had the leverage because of where I'd worked and what I'd done. And I said, I don't want to wear a suit and tie anymore. I want to be myself. I want to be able to say what I want to say sell the way I want to sell and market the way I want to market and I don't want anyone, you know, bosses or managers stopping me from from being me. And so I come back and I basically pitched that idea to five of the companies that I felt would look at it and would consider it, one of them being my old crew at MMJ. Mm. And I was pretty lucky that all five made me an offer, but I sat there and I thought, you know, where do I want to be and, and how do I want to, build a reputation and there was sort of two more seriously that I looked at and my old company said to me you know we'll we'll give you good money to come back and we'll give you all of that all of that freedom that you want and they were pretty good with with honoring that and for me it's sort of like you know when you've been someone you've had an amazing experience and they're offering you all the right opportunities to come back it'd be pretty silly to walk away from that so I ended Mm. back where I started um, just this time felt like a different agent, you know, a different human because I had that experience. I had that new lease of, of life in real estate. And to be honest, man, probably a little bit, um, it's probably a little bit of a kick in the ass because it, it took me six months to really build a name again. I sort really? of thought, you know what I mean? Like it's because everyone in real estate knew what I'd been doing, but I forgot that mm. the market doesn't follow me on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> you know okay, what I mean? Yeah. So I come back and I was like, yeah. yeah, like everyone with a $2 million house is going to want me to sell it. Wasn't the mm. case. Come yeah. back and it was kind of like, fuck, you're going to have to work really hard for six months here to get your ass into gear and, and actually get some listings. And what felt like six months of really hard work where I basically got, when you're a young guy in real estate, I find, well, I did anyways, I got all the jobs that everyone else failed to sell or no one else wanted because it was tasked too hard. Mm. And so I took all those jobs with an open mindset, was able to sell everything that was presented with me in the first couple of months and got some really good results. And I think then that equity, that brand equity and like the image in the marketplace I'd created was a guy who could do some good numbers for some harder properties and also had a great work Mm. ethic and a very honest approach. And I built amazing connections and ended up sort of like the ball dropped and I had some real consistency then in the properties that I listed and sold. And it just become a really, 
really enjoyable process of looking back on the last number of months and seeing I was finally where I wanted to be three years ago when I walked into this industry. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, I, I guess leading into where the podcast began, it had been been probably a year back in play and I just, like anyone that, you know, has a career hustle and, you know, has a pretty busy day-to-day work life, I just felt like as someone with cystic fibrosis, which like I said we'll talk about later, I just, my health had sort of gone on the back burner and, you know, it was pretty easy to miss a training session or, you know, miss doing something of importance for my health because a meeting at five o'clock come up and then I wasn't getting home till seven or, you know, a client Mm. wanted to see this or wanted to have a meeting about something that happened that week in, you know, one of the open houses or an offer. And I just felt like my career was becoming more important than my health and my happiness. And that sort of dragged on for a while. And I just found myself at a point where I was sitting in a hospital bed for two weeks last year after I had a bit of a scare with my lungs and sitting there thinking, I've just literally had the best two weeks of my life in a hospital bed. Well, not best two weeks of my life, best two weeks of my year. Sat in a hospital bed with a drip pumping in my arm 24 hours a day with, you know what I mean, my Ugg boots Um, on, the grossest ginger beard you've ever seen in your life because I didn't have a razor there. And (laughs) I'm confined within four walls and literally just had the most enjoyable two weeks of my year. I'm doing something wrong outside of here. And Was that because you had like a time to sit back and like reflect on your life properly, do you think? hundred percent. I just had, you know what yeah. it was? My hospital routine every day was wake up at six, yeah. put socks on over my pajama pants like an absolute dag, put me slides on. I'd walk down, grab a coffee at the cafe downstairs, create a great relationship with the owner. We'd have a bit of a yarn, have a laugh. I'd do a couple laps walking around the hospital. I'd go up. I'd pump out like I still had clients coming in for meetings because I had a private room there and I had like you know, oh, really? the little, you know the little um hospital beds that sl- the hospital tables that slide over the bed. Yeah, I had one of those and I had a big chair like the visitors chair and two little chairs and I had clients <laughs> coming in for meetings. It was classic. Some of the photos were hilarious, but I sort of was able to productively sort of build out all the work I needed to do in two or three hours each day. And then yeah. the whole day just like researching interviews, listening to podcasts, um, watching videos of people that I was really intrigued by or interested in and just learning. And that's the stuff that I love to do. And I sat there and I thought, you know, I have my, my family's, honestly, man, my family don't get better people. They were there every single night bringing me dinner up, bringing me snack. Like my mates would come around every second night and sit down, have a yarn. Like I've just got great people in my life and I sat there and I was like, I've literally got no material things at all in here. I'm sat here with good healthy food, good people. I've got people looking after me and all of a sudden I get the opportunity to work on my health and, you know, be invested in the things that I love again. And I was like, when I get out of here, I need to make a change. And for that next six months until Feb when I put in my resignation, I just felt the pressure of not leaving, build up, build up, build up. And then I said, I always said to myself that if I hated six months of my work, I'd leave because I think life's about more than money. And yeah. I found myself in that position and um, can say that I lived by the words that I told myself three years ago and handed in that resignation in Feb. And I'll be honest, man, sitting across from my boss, like, I like to think I'm a pretty tough bloke. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I shed a few tears last night. I watched a movie called A Dog's, a Dog's Purpose. 
Yeah, I've seen that. Mate, if you watch a dog die five times in a movie, fuck me, Dad. My dog yeah. next to me and I'm fucking tearing up. I'm thinking, Jesus Christ. So, <laughs> what was your dog doing? Was he watching it? <laughs> he was watching it too. He was fully invested for the whole hour and a half, two hours. So. But I'm, yeah. um, you know, like I'm not, I'm not a very emotional guy like that, but I'm sad across mm. from my boss telling him. And then like I'm sort of welling up because not because I was leaving or because that was sad. Don't get me wrong, fucking amazing people. I love the people I work with. I love the company that I was at. But it just felt like a weight was lifted off my shoulders because mm. I've always been a person that for so long done things to please other, others and not, not in a bad way or in a peer pressure way but in a way of like never wanting to disappoint people or people to be disappointed by me. Yeah. The first time I was doing something that made sense for me. And it yeah, was like the biggest weight, it. 100%, biggest weight was lifted off my shoulders. And I re- reckon I could have walked out of that meeting room and done a double backflip. Like I felt great. Yeah. And knowing that the finish line was two months ahead of me, I gave you know my work two months notice because I wanted to close off some of those deals that I'd, you know, that I'd signed. And I was able to do that, which, which was really satisfying and do most of that from home during COVID. But I'd sort of started a podcast in real estate in December, um, just with a mate who's an agent at one of the franchises of our company. And mm. it was, I've always wanted to do like podcasts or interviews and cause I've always loved presenting and sharing stories and listening to other people's stories. Listening to me on here, you'd go, fuck, this bloke can talk. But I don't actually talk that much in my podcast because I really enjoy really enjoy letting other people share their yeah. their stories and their perspectives. But the, the hardest and most scary thing for me, and we spoke about it before we come on, was the tech side of things because I'm not a tech head. I'm not a tech genius. You know, I can navigate my way through socials, but I'm not great with setting up this sort of stuff. And once I'd sort of gotten an idea of that through the real estate podcast, I thought, I really want to start my own. Like now I know what I'm doing. So I went out and I bought all the gear, all the gear, no idea, and probably late (laughs) 10 and set up my first three interviews. They all went bloody amazingly for my first three, no faults at all, which I was so impressed with. And then I released, I'm pretty sure I released them on the first week of Fed. And man, the rest is bloody history four months in 30 episodes deep and mate I've honestly found I found what I love and I always knew this is what I loved because I've always said conversation so powerful it can change people's lives but I feel like I'm finally doing what I love um financially it's it's tough it's going to take time to become a really financial um platform that pays my ways and allows me to pay the bills quite comfortably but I just learnt, man, that staring in the face of probably making quite good money next year at 25 years of age, I'm 24 now, um, I just wasn't motivated by the money anymore. Mm. What's the plan of the podcast moving forward? What is like your sort of hopes in the next six to 12 months? Next six to 12 months, I think I'd love to have, by by 12 months from today, so what are we now? We're June. By mid next year, I'd like to have one of the best shows in Australia. Yeah. And that that's a pretty bold statement, but, man, I've not been shy in saying that within three to five years I want Rogan to be calling me and saying, hey, can you come on my podcast? So, yeah, yeah. like, I'm pretty, I'm pretty bold with this. I think I've got a story to tell with my health stuff. Um, I think everyone's got a story to tell, and I absolutely love hearing other people's journeys and, and sharing that with people. I can't, you know, I've said to people, people always say, and you'd get this too, what's the most rewarding thing about doing a podcast? 
Mm -hmm. And I remember, so episode one, I shared a story of an army veteran who used to locate um, IEDs, so um, basically hidden explosive devices in Afghanistan. So he used to do that with the Australian Army for a couple of years. And then he went on to, basically it wasn't a story of ill mental health or stress or worry or sadness. It was quite a positive story and he loved it. He had an amazing experience in, in the military and come back to buy a business and set up a really successful business here in Wollongong. And so that was an amazing story, great chat, lots of laughs, lots of really interesting facts and, and stories that were shared. But episode two, we done, there's a non-for-profit um, called Talk To Me Bro that was built here in Wollongong. It's about men's mental health. And mm. I remember filming that episode and when it was released, I had a girl message me and it was the first, I'd had plenty of messages off the first episode, but it was the first message of where I actually felt I was making a difference. And this girl messaged me saying that her partner had had lost a family member and it had basically, that episode had helped her relate to him and be able to chat and get him to see someone. And I sat there and, man, I couldn't wipe a smile off my face because I was mm. like, I've genuinely helped someone here. And it was the best feeling I've felt in a long time. And as the show's gone on, you know, there's been episodes that are pure banter and laughs with comedians. There's been some that are, you know, NRL players or or athletes sharing stories and career advice, but there's been some really deep episodes and one of them in particular being one of my very close mates who spoke about his battle with bipolar and clinical depression. And I honestly, the, the amount of messages I've received along the way, um, I just think if, you know, a hundred or so messages of people saying that I've really helped them or or allowed them to make some big decisions or positive changes in their life, if that feels great, imagine how a hundred thousand of those messages would feel. So mm. I sort of chase that feeling now, the ability to positively affect and change people's lives and, you know, just the bigger audience you get, the bigger guests you get and the greater your platform grows, the more opportunity you have to do that. So. Mm-hmm. that's sort of the yeah goal. it's pretty it's pretty amazing when someone you don't even know messages you just saying like wow that literally changed my life in a way 100%. and it's like and, and, an hour an hour conversation changes someone's life it's crazy like it feels good it's unbelievable and and to know that someone would actually go out of their way to to message that mm. and to give you that positive feedback and and i've got to be honest man i've i've only really had one person that has hated i mean it wasn't even for the podcast it was for i've seen that and to be honest man like i'm sweet with it because i understand that if you know he basically for anyone listening he he had a real crack over socials about the video of me leaving real estate saying that basically called me i think he called me an egotistical fuck um he said i was a wanker apparently i was playing with my hair in the video and he said nobody gives a fuck about your real estate career I've never met the guy in my life. I don't even think he's from here, so I don't know how. Do you even know who he is, or is he just a complete no, random? I don't know who he is, complete random, right? And <laughs> and so it, it made me laugh. And to be honest, I felt sorry for the guy because I was like, something's seriously yeah. going wrong in this bloke's life that he feels like he's got to have a dig at a random. And then yeah. like people jumped in. I had probably ten or fifteen comments like people supporting me and like having a dig at him. And then he was having personally attacking every one of them. And I'm like, this guy's so sick in the head. It's not even funny, but. It's kind of like that's the one really yeah. one bit of negative feedback I've had wasn't even related to the podcast. But I'm I'm prepared for 30,000 of those messages along the way. You yeah, can't, yeah, you know you're doing something right if someone's doing that to you. Yeah, 100%. And I'm like, 
for, for me, I know if I'm going to build an audience of, you know, you listen to guys like, I'm loving Jocko Willink's podcast at the moment. Mm. It's probably the one that yeah. I'm consistently listening to and it takes time because they're good three-hour episodes. Yeah. <laughs> it takes a while to get a listen out. But I listen there and that guy's got 2 million people yeah. that listen on average to each episode. And That's I go, ridiculous. you know, if you've got 2 million people listening, you're bound to get a few messages of people that don't like it. Yeah. And so I'm just prepared for that. You just got to, you just got yeah, like you said, you just got to show compassion towards them. There's obviously something wrong going yeah. wrong in their life. Like, I mean, you would never go out of our way to just no, berate someone. Gonna, just, bro, gonna, something they're trying to do. out of each other's way to say g'day and you know what I mean and be supportive yeah. of the shows. And I thought, yeah, I just think it's a funny world we live in, man, but. Well, that's how we connected. I, I think I messaged you after listening to one of your episodes or yeah, something along those lines. I think it was the, was it the Isaac John one? Yeah, because I was listening to his show um, and then he shared it and I was like, oh, I'll check it out. Yeah. Had a listen. I was like, yeah, I like this. It's cool. So I, I think I messaged you. Yeah. But like imagine imagine if I just like started bagging you out. Like, right. And how the, crazy would that be? And the thing is I like I say to people all the time, I'm like, you're going to be in a position where you're going to cop that sort of criticism, but if you're the sort of yeah. certain person that dishes that out, man, then it's karma and then you know how it feels. And I've never been mm-hmm. one to to dish it out because I think everyone's having a crack in life. Yeah, it doesn't exactly, matter what yeah. stage, you know, I'd prefer to see someone going out of their way and having a crack mm-hmm. than sitting on their ass and getting shitty with life. You know, yeah. like we, we all go through tough times and sometimes you're having a crack and it doesn't work out or, you know, something doesn't take. But I think it actually takes bigger balls to put yourself out there and not succeed straight away. Mm, yeah, exactly. Like um, I can't remember the quote, but it's sort of like everyone's scared of be- becoming a beginner again, but you kind of have to do that when you're chasing something because you don't have know everything. Your ego. Yeah, yeah. You have to start at the bottom and then work your way up. So, so I'll give you a great example, right, on that, on that quote. I've just recently, probably four or five weeks ago, joined a run club. Mm. I used to bat on the socials all the time. So I had a couple of mates that were involved in a group called Active Boys Run Club. And basically the, the foundation of the group is two lads, Dylan and Jared, who <coughs> excuse me, wanted to get off the piss on Saturday nights and wake up fresh on Sundays. Oh, so yeah. Every Sunday morning they meet at 6 a.m. at North Beach Kiosk in Wollongong here for a 5k run two became four and then four became like 10 and now it's like 20 every week today there's like 28 people it's 6 a.m on a sunday it's a fair effort right and it's cold Mm. at the moment you know it's winter everyone's out running they asked me to come and i'm sat there going i'm a shit runner haven't run in ages my ego's kicking in here going do i really want to be showing up by a group of blokes that run every week (laughs) probably not but would it be good for me bloody oath it would so mm. I went, mate, honestly, I've never met a better bunch of blokes that are all really grounded and just want you to get better with them. <clears throat> and so I I literally started that the first week, fell in love with the idea of it, went the second week, went the third week. The third week I got two runs in and then I think today was my fourth Sunday and mm. I see the boys heaps because we're all sort of early birds, so we're all up at, you know, 5 in the morning. Some of us meet down the beach for a swim at 6 a.m. or a coffee or a brew or whatever. And as soon as you drop your ego, you realise how much there is to be gained out of 
being yeah. around other people that could be better than you or, you know, coming on a podcast that might have more listens than yours or views than yours and just speaking to speaking to new people and opening your mind to growth, I think mm. it's so important. So I've learned, especially in the last six months, 12 months, how important it is to drop your ego. You don't have to be the best at everything, but you just got to be willing to learn. Yeah, absolutely. And people in that situation, they're probably happy that you're giving it a crack. So they're going to support you regardless of if you can run or not. 100%. You know, like the boys ran on Wednesday night, they'd done a long run, they'd done 21Ks, but they passed the same point every 5Ks. So there were some boys that jumped in at 15, some at 10. Me and one of my mates jumped in at five. And mate, I'm, I'm literally, I went into that, maybe a little bit egotistical again, like I'm going to catch these guys after 16Ks. I'll probably just have to drift between the front and the back of the pack and boost the morale. Mate, I'm yeah. in the back of the pack fucking trying to get breath, a bit of breath of air in, like trying to get some <laughs> oxygen in the lungs, like I'm bloody struggling and these blokes are still going strong. Yeah. Like, it's just a great environment to be around. Like I, yeah. I never looked for, I used to hate running. I couldn't run 2Ks by myself, mate, because I hated it. Mm. But now I'm like, I'm springing out of bed. I sprang out of bed at 4.45 this morning that keen to get warm really? up and stretched out so I can go and run with the boys at six. So I just think, man, there's so much positivity to be gained by being around the right people. And that's a whole other yeah. conversation in itself. Yeah. And that's like, that's a good part about a podcast as well. Like when you start a podcast, you're like, well, shit, I'm going to have like two listeners and all that stuff. But if you yeah. let that stop you, you're never going to do anything. So Mate, Exactly right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to have a bit of a chat too as well, just about you were talking about your health problems before. Um, yeah. So, yeah, do you just want to explain what's going on there and with your cystic fibrosis, what it is exactly? Like yeah. I'm sure a lot of people aren't familiar with it. No, it's it's funny, man, because it's funny. You just said it there. Not a, not a lot of people are familiar with CF, and I guess that's why maybe I've spoken about it a little bit more on my show because mm. it's um it's weird. It's I think it's the most common genetic disorder in newborn babies in Australia, yet it's so unknown. And I think it's one in every 250,000 Australian babies is born with cystic fibrosis. I won't go too doctor on you because it can be a little bit complicated, but basically what cystic fibrosis is, is under the, the skin you've got a gene that transports salt and water to the cells in your body and Mm -hmm. the transportation of that salt and water allows mucus which everyone goes oh mucus phlegm that's gross and everyone refers to mucus and phlegm as the stuff that you bring up from your lungs or through your sinuses or your nasal cavities and it is but it also flows throughout the rest of your body it moves quite freely when you don't have that salt and water gene being transported to the cells it doesn't move as freely and it isn't as thin It basically Mm. becomes thicker, stickier mucus that sits on your organs and scars them. So obviously your lungs are quite heavily affected by that as well as your pancreas and your digestive system with most people um, that are affected by CF. And there are a number of different, um, I guess you call them genetic mutations of CF. I have the most common, which is unfortunately the worst. Um, You know, flip the coin and you get what you get, but... Mm. Um, I got the side that I wasn't put money on, put it that way. And yeah. basically, so you're born with it. And and if you're not, if people think they're not born with it, you were, um, you just didn't find out till later. But most people find out now because of the way that technology is and these um, you know health studies are conducted. Most people find out at three weeks old or not far after that, like I did. And 
I guess I talk about my parents. My parents are a big part of my cystic fibrosis story because you can you could never be more prepared to have a child than they were. I was the first kid. They owned their house. They both had stable jobs. They worked multiple jobs to have financial security. They were mm. super amazing and happy in their relationship, healthy, great human beings who were 100% planned and ready to have a child. You have your first child. He looks like he's healthy when he's popped out. And then three weeks later, you find out he's got cystic fibrosis. And not knowing what that was or not understanding that at all, but knowing it was quite severe by what they were told, they went to the first specialist appointment. And the first specialist says to my parents, and I I honestly can't believe you'd even say this to, to parents of a newborn baby who are obviously stressed enough as it is to know that there's something wrong, but don't understand it. And this is so disrespectful to people with cancer, but he said, mate, your kid would be better off having cancer because he'd die or get over it. This will ruin his life. Really? Basically, yeah. Not word for word, but basically what he said. And yeah. my dad got up, told him to get fucked, nearly put him through the window apparently because my dad dad doesn't yeah. like negativity, let's put it that way. And they walked out of that office and my dad said, we're never seeing that bloke again. They mm-hmm. signed out and mum and dad went and found a new specialist who had a completely different mindset. It was about let's prevent – excuse me, the voice went on me there, let's prevent anything bad from happening um, by being really diligent and really focused and understanding what could come up and how we can counteract it as opposed to just waiting for something bad to happen and then trying to cure it or fix it. Mm. And we worked, my parents worked unbelievably hard. I'm talking, you think that you just, you know, give your kid a couple of tablets. I'm talking about like two to four hours a day of hands-on physio, you know, feeding me medication, having to watch what I ate, having to feed me a whole lot more because people with CF struggle to put on weight or grow. And I was at a point where I was quite an active kid at four years old where, you know, probably getting my parents' genes, super sporty. And at four years old, I was running and in surf club and like I was super active and they, they basically allowed me to do any sport I wanted. So my childhood was filled with weekend competitions, lots of gold medals, you know, mm. lots of lots of sport and lots of activity. And it really set me up the first like 16, 18 years of my life to be an extremely healthy human with CF. Now, along the way, um, not everyone with CF does, but I encountered liver disease. So I was diagnosed with that at the age of nine years of age. And basically that's because that mucus sits a bit thicker and heavier and it scars the liver and the spleen. So I've got cirrhosis, which is liver disease. And basically like what you get if you abuse alcohol, if you're an alcoholic. Um, So my spleen and my liver are both larger than they should be. And basically the way your body's built, your rib cage protects all your major organs and your vital organs. Mine hang just slightly below the rib cage. Mm -hmm. So I had to quit contact sport at an early age because there was the chance of getting ruptured um, from a big hit or from contact. And that was really, I was, man, I lived for rugby league as a kid. So that bloody broke my heart. Like, man, can't I can't count the amount of times I cried over not being able to play footy. But I sort mm. of went on then and just kept really healthy and dedicated myself to sprint, sprinting and become a state champion, 100 and 200 metre sprints and continued to be quite active. And then at 13, I was diagnosed with diabetes, basically because with cystic fibrosis, your pancreas doesn't work. So I take digestive enzymes every time I eat. So for the regular person, you're getting a health lesson here. 
Um, yeah. When you eat anything, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. When you eat anything with protein or fat as a normal human, as a healthy functioning human, your body releases digestive enzyme in the stomach to break mm. down proteins and fats and use the nutrients to, you know, for your body to thrive and recover and grow. Um, with cystic fibrosis, your pancreas isn't working properly, so it doesn't produce those digestive enzymes. So I take them in, in capsule form. But also with the pancreas, its function is to produce insulin, and insulin obviously controls blood sugar levels and controls those levels off the back of the food you eat, predominantly carbohydrates in the most part. And it also, insulin is extremely important for growth. Now, you hit a point as, a, as an Aussie male or fucking any male, I hope, or female, we hit puberty at a certain yeah. age and um, sort of around the age of 12, 13, when you start hitting puberty, there's obviously an, an increased need for insulin because you're growing at a rapid rate. And, mm. you know, I'm a pretty tall lad and, you know, I put on plenty of weight for you, through puberty, like good weight. And so I sort of hit, I had some fucking hairy armpits and shit too. So, you know, your body's working overtime to produce all that. And, um, <laughs> and, I basically hit that age where then I wasn't producing enough insulin to counteract my blood sugars. So I was starting to get high blood sugars, which mm. basically with my type of diabetes is not type 1 or type 2. My sugar spikes after carbohydrates, probably like an hour or two after, and then severely drops. And so like I needed to control that with insulin. So I was diabetic for six years. I am kind of still diabetic, but after puberty i sort of didn't need insulin anymore i was able to just control it through diet and yeah. really the only hurdle that's come oh fuck, it wouldn't it wouldn't be the only hurdle the only new diagnosis that's come since is at 16 years of age because of my liver and my spleen being under quite a lot of pressure to function normally um around your esophagus area so i don't know can people see the video here no. No, okay. So where your esophagus ends just a, below your rib cage, basically under your sternum area, um, you've got veins that run through there and mm. those veins don't usually transport much, much blood but because my the blood from my spleen and, and liver needs to take alternate routes to be able to get through easier, it fills up in those veins and they're called esophageal varices. And if they get too big, they can burst and bleed internally. And so basically from the age of 16, we expected that that would be the case because of the liver disease for a prolonged period of time. And so I basically go in for like a little surgery or scope every 12 to 18 months to go down and make sure they aren't too big, check them with a the camera. And if they are, they suck them into almost like a little vacuum, put an elastic band around them and they fall off. Um, so, you know, I take 50 tablets a day at the moment. I do a few um, lung nebulizers and 50 sounds crazy but to be honest good chunk of those are morning and night um and it's just yeah. like 30 digestive enzymes every time i eat something but it becomes second nature man i've been doing it since i was a baby so you know it doesn't phase me it's never phased my mates in fact my mates are bloody fantastic they'll say mate make sure you bring your pills so i can have a good feed tonight or you know mm. everyone's always super fine with it and i'm super self-confident and I don't let it worry me. I can imagine it would definitely worry other people with CF, especially, you know, going through puberty and high school when you're very impressionable and socially awkward and trying to make your way in the world. But to be honest, man, it's sort of I didn't, aside from taking tablets and doing those daily routines, I couldn't, you couldn't have told I had CF. Like I'm a healthy human being. I live a yeah. very normal life. And 
I hadn't really had any hurdles or hiccups or felt sick until I was 18. And it was a week. I was supposed to go in for one of those esophageal varicy procedures. And I, to be honest, man, I still, I still remember it like it was yesterday because it was such a significant moment in my life where I was sat at home on this Sunday afternoon after being out for the day. It was in the middle of winter and I was, I'd never been so cold in my life. Like I felt like I was in Antarctica. And I sit in front of the heater with the jumper and trackies on at home. And I remember layering with three jumpers and putting a beanie on and I was still freezing. And I went to bed and wrapped myself up. And I sat there in bed shivering, fell asleep and woke up sweating like I've never sweat before to the point where I stripped down in my undies and then I was freezing again then I was hot again. And that happened for like four or five days. Yeah. I remember I got to the Friday and I was supposed to go in for this surgery and procedure and I woke up that morning and I just started coughing, like coughing terribly. Like I was like, wow, I'm, I'm coughing so much I could die. Like I was in so much pain because everything was just strained and hurt. And I got there for that surgery and they took me into the pre-surgery room and most for most surgeries before you go in or most procedures, they check your blood pressure, your temperature, make sure you're healthy. And the nurse goes, mate, your temperature's 39 degrees and your blood pressure's 180 over 100. You're like a 50-year-old man that's ready to have a heart attack. What is wrong with Mm. you? And I was like, I feel terrible. She said, well, we're definitely not touching you in a procedure room today. Um, You need to be in hospital with your CF. And so they said, well, we're so full up here at RPA, which is Royal Prince Alfred in Sydney, we can't get you a bed. You're going to need to go home to Wollongong and we'll let you know when we can get you a bed to stay in. So I drove home that day with my, my parents. They took me up that day and... It was the next morning. I'm sitting at home watching a movie with Dad. Draft Day with Kevin Costner. Still remember? And I'm just, I'm man, I'm coughing like a dog. And I'm, I coughed, and I still remember. You know when you like bite your tongue or something like that, and you can taste blood in your mouth. Yeah. Coughed, yeah. and I could just taste a lot of blood in my mouth. And I just kind of got up quietly and walked to the laundry, and I went to the laundry tub, and I was like, I need to check this. And I coughed, and I reckon I coughed up two handfuls of blood Far out. and I my first thought was one of those esophageal varices has burst and if I'm not at the hospital within 30 minutes I'm going to die and so I yelled out to my dad and we just got I think I had Ugg boots on and pajamas and we basically sprinted out of the house got in the car I grabbed an old ice cream bucket that we used to put the dog's water in because mm. I was expecting to just start vomiting up blood like violently <clears throat> and we're driving to the hospital. It was just that night at home and my parents are separated. They've been separated since I was 11 or 12, but get on amazing. And mum and sis worked together at the time. And I remember calling their work and my sister picked up because she was on reception. I said, look, is mum there? And she said, yeah, she's with a customer. And I said, can you quickly get her to come to the phone? This is urgent. And they're both there and I said, I'm coughing up blood and I'm racing to emergency and I'm not sure if it's going to be good. And so they raced out of work, <clears throat> basically just dropped everything and ran. Mm. And I got to emergency and I didn't feel like I felt sick, but I didn't feel like I was going to start violently coughing up blood or anything. And they got me in and they checked me and they said, look, we don't think it's your varices. We actually think the blood's coming from your lungs. And they sent me from, for scans and they said, you've got quite severe pneumonia. And I'd never, to be honest, man, it was the first time in my life. It was a massive reality check. It felt like Mike Tyson had fucking up mm. the shit out of me and said, wake up. And I was like, this CF's real. And I sat there and I'd been sick for that week prior. 
with that week and a half prior and man I sat there in hospital for three weeks I lost nine kilos I come out with a pretty decent rig if I'm being honest um best it's been for a while I'll tell you that much and um it, it took me to be honest it took me like time to build up to a 30 minute walk on the treadmill again like yeah. I felt so unfit and my lungs were so heavily scarred in and like under so much pressure and had so much stuff on my lungs and damage that healed quite a bit in that three months in hospital. But I was on 24-hour IV antibiotics, like getting two drugs pumped through me at once for 24 hours a day. So mm-hmm. I was pretty bad and I left there and you think that's going to be the wake-up call and then I ended up back there probably 18 months later with a similar thing but just not as severe. And then um, it was last year where they said to me in September, they said, mate, I actually didn't feel too bad. I felt all right. I could feel I was a little bit sick or a little bit off. And they said, mate, you've got an infection in your lungs that is not dangerous to anyone else but with CF. I think it's called Burkholderia, um, if I remember correctly. And they said there's yeah. two strains of that. The first one is you sort of get over it and move on. The second one is it damages the cells around your lungs, which means if you ever needed a lung transplant, they wouldn't even touch it or think about it because it just doesn't allow new lungs to take to your body. Mm. And to be honest, man, it's the biggest kick in the ass I've ever had because I sat there and I thought, mate, you've become so invested in making money and trying to be successful to look good or for pe- other people to be, to be impressed by it. And you're sitting here and saying that, you know, I've never planned to have a lung transplant. I still never do. Um, but potentially if something went wrong, that could add 20 years to my life, you know, 30 years to my life. And I thought, mate, you're in a position where that might not be the case anymore. So if something goes wrong at 50, well, it's gone wrong, you know, mm-hmm. looking back. And so I went straight in the hospital and I spent two weeks, 14 days in the hospital, 14 nights, and I, I was lucky to get rid of it. And I remember leaving leaving the hospital, like I just said, I just knew I had this feeling that I needed to change because I'd had the two best weeks of my year. And since then, man, I've, I've really been on a journey, especially this year, 2020, to, to regain my, my full bill of health and to try to get back to where I was. Um, and that takes time with CF, but yeah. I feel like I'm definitely on the way and it's nice to have my priorities realigned with where they should be. Yeah. What else have you changed in your life that's made a difference to your health aside from not working like crazy? Has there been any other lifestyle changes? Yeah, there has been, to be honest. And it's it's funny, sort of COVID, COVID hit and all of a sudden everyone, you know, you probably know everyone become a professional walker because everyone wanted an excuse to get out of the house for an hour, an hour yeah. and a half a day. And I'll become <laughs> the cafe threeman of a walk down the beach, you know, like. I was just, every day I was just like walking along the beach and I was swimming in the salt water in the ocean. And for, you know, for anyone with cystic fibrosis or anyone with a set of, a set of lungs, it's great to swim in salt water. It opens mm. your lungs right up and also breathing against resistance is great for strengthening your lungs. And my body was feeling pretty battered and bruised because I hadn't been doing much, but just getting into like and building healthy habits and discipline again around training every day. I was basically basically training for three hours, like two to three hours a day because I was walking like two hours mm. and I was swimming. And it wasn't super like – it wasn't enough. You're not burning enough calories in that sort of exercise to rip yourself up into a six-pack with my diet anyways. And mm. like I sort of just built discipline and enjoyment around training again, which was the first time I'd really for a long time like consistently 
exercise and enjoyed it. And I built those habits and then a couple of mates and I, like two mates and I in particular, started walking at 5.45 every morning. And then just as time has gone on, you know, that's introduced, I'm back training Muay Thai again, which I've got to be careful around my liver and my spleen for that. I can't take too much contact, but yeah. um, back doing that, back in the weights room. Now I'm starting to run a little bit with that, the run club, the active boys, and I'm just in a good position where I've made a lot of healthy life decisions. And I've got to be honest, man, waking up at five every day, I, I honestly was struggling to get out of bed at seven when I was working. And I think a lot of it is mindset and positivity. And mm. funnily enough, that makes you tired. It really does. When you're mentally drained, you feel fucked all the time. And yeah. I bounce out of bed now at five every morning without a second thought. Never, I've not once pressed snooze in the last like two, three months of my alarm or decided to go back to bed. Um, I wake up at 4.45 on Sunday. Saturday, Saturday I treat myself with a little 6.30, 7 o'clock sleep in. And even for that, I feel shit, bro. I feel shit doing that. I'm like, oh, you're, you're weak as piss, mate. Like, get yeah. But I feel, I feel good. And like walking at that time in the morning, grabbing a coffee and jumping in the ocean and watching the sunrise, mate, mm. it's the best thing for your mental health, honestly. I feel like sometimes I just leave and I've got a smile on my face because life, mm. when you're doing all that shit, life's good. Surrounding yeah. myself with, with the best people and great positive influences. Yeah, because of my liver disease, I don't drink. I've never been into party drugs. So I feel like I'm in a really good place in my life where I'm doing a lot of really positive, healthy things. No, that's good. I don't drink either and you feel so much better. So. No, just I, I've never drunk so I can't, I can't speak for how it feels. But I almost used to – I said on my story today, I always used to feel like I had a Sunday hangover and that sounds weird. But we go, yeah. How does that? How does that work? But like just the accumulation of shit food and mm-hmm. mental stress and like just being mentally exhausted at the end of a work week because you're not passionate about the, the work or the tasks you were doing – and you're not mm. happy, on Sundays, man, I feel like I need to sleep all day. I feel like yeah. I need to buy a bus getting out of bed in the morning. Like, that's not healthy. Mm. So, now you're buzzing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I go for walks in the morning too. Like, I walk through, like, pretty much the bush and it's pitch black and yeah. then the sun comes up and you just feel, yeah, you feel amazing yeah. mentally as well. It's crazy. <laughs> you know what that reminds me of? Do you follow William Warua on socials, Will Crip? Uh, Nah, no. Nah. The guy from New Zealand and he, he jogs. He's been jogging every day for about 100 days now. Because, man, he's a funny guy. If, unless you follow him, you wouldn't understand it. It's just funny to watch. And he jogs every day and through this part of his jog, he goes through what he calls the IB, the intense bush. And he always <laughs> runs through and he films it on his social and he's like, <laughs> reveal yourself. <laughs> yeah, come out. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I feel like. I'm like always looking. Yeah. Sometimes I'm standing, like looking around. And yeah, shit. 100%. I'm paranoid. So, yeah. I, I tell you what, talk- that's one thing I've said to a lot of people lately. You know, I used to be a PT. I wouldn't say I'm a health professional now. Definitely not. Um, mm. But I reckon that's one of the best habits you can, you can make if you want to get yourself healthy or have healthier life habits or even just a better day at work. Walking early because it doesn't, doesn't stress your body to get up and walk at an all right pace and mm. just being out in fresh air and being exposed to nature before you go inside and are closed in an office all day does a lot for your mood. 
it actually wakes you up as well, I find. Like sometimes I wake up and I'm a bit tired, but about after 10 minutes of walking, I feel fresh and I'm ready to go. It just gives your body a nice, easy way to, to warm up yeah. the day. Yeah. Um, talk to me a little bit just about like your family and the um, – because you've got such a positive outlook on life and, and considering yeah. like all the stuff that you're facing, like a lot of people, you know, wouldn't be able to do what you're doing with their condition. Um, yeah. But how, how have they shaped you into what you are and – made you be so positive honestly and, man. You know. honestly best people like i couldn't i couldn't love my family any more than i do i just <clears throat> I basically got my my mom diane and my dad darren who are just fuck, I, I, honestly like i can't think of anything more they could have done as parents to give me and mm. my sister the best life like we weren't rich we you know we we're middle class we lived a comfortable life we had a beautiful home and we had a dog and, you know, me and my sister, Shania, she's two and a half years younger than me. But honestly, just I played sports seven days a week as a kid. Like I was so active. They never, yeah. never whinge. You know, some parents go, oh, I'm not taking a bloody this this year. Like you're not doing that. You've only got to play one sport. Like pick the one you like. Mate, we were all over the shop all the time because I was so active. They never once complained. And they never mm-hmm. once asked me to quit. They always encouraged me to do what I wanted to do. I went to a beautiful school, you know, my sister did too, where we are able to stay with our same friends from preschool all the way until we finished and just had the most amazing, happy life at home. You know, in some ways you you would consider us the picture-perfect family, like the sort of family you see in a movie that people get the shits with why they're so happy all the time. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and you know, and, and I say that with a lot of empathy because I know a lot of people aren't in that position. I have friends who definitely aren't in that position who tell me how lucky I'm every day and I know it. And, mate, they, they honestly mean the world to me. I do anything for my family and I have amazing relationships individually with every one of them. And, you know, my parents were divorced at – they separated at 11 when I was 11 and which you know, I think about 12, 13 years now. Um, and they've been divorced for probably 12 of those years. Mm. and still like last two Sundays ago mum and her partner invited my dad and his partner my sis and her partner and me all over for dinner sit around the fire have dinner have a heap of food have a laugh and a yarn and we do that all the time it's not weird for us and I think they've got such a healthy relationship my parents as friends and the respect they have for each other because they're you know the parents of two children that they love and adore and want the best out of life um for us kids is just man to be honest like they're the best people i've got man my whole arm is tattooed with like things that reflect that you know or characters or statues that reflect those people and, and what they are in my life i've got a message written down my back that's dedicated to them and i just man I, I love them to bits and they're the best most supportive family and that's why to be honest it shaped me to be a really good human and also to be an empathetical mm-hmm. human because I know not a lot of people have that, you know, mm-hmm. and, and in particular I've got a lot of close mates who, you know, maybe don't have one parent in their life but have an amazing other parent. And it's also made me be a lot more open and understanding um, of how important friendship is too because for some people friendship is family and I've got a lot of friends that I'd call family and I'd do anything for and mm-hmm. I've got quite a big circle of people that I hang around and spend time with maybe a smaller circle of influence that I really sit down and have those deep conversations with. But I just try to be the positive, um, I guess, the positive light 
in each one of those circles that allows people to be happy and get the most out of their days. And I like to think, you know, and, and I'd like to think because it happens quite often that I can be the guy they turn to and have a yarn about life and and sort of for a little bit of directional guidance without being their life coach or counsellor just to push them in the right direction if they're having a tough time or they need to get something off their chest. So I think the connections yeah. that we have and the people we surround ourselves with, whether they're blood-related or, or whether there's someone that comes into your life at a later stage, I think it's so important. Yeah, and what and when you're a kid as well, like having CF, what age were you sort of at when you learned to accept that that's like what you were living with Bro, compared to other kids? To be honest, man, straight away. And I think I never had an issue of not being accepting yeah. of it. Part of that reason was my parents told me I could achieve anything I wanted to achieve. You know, mm, I was going to be good. the next Brad Fittler for a long time and they're like, yeah, well, if you want to do that, you're going to be that. I was going to be the next Usain Bolt. I was going to be the next best real estate agent in the country. I was going to be the next best podcaster. My parents walk around now and say, you know, Joe Rogan, yeah, our son's better than him at podcasts. <laughs> Mate, they believe in me so much in whatever I do. Yeah. It's amazing. That's but like my parents too. Uh, yeah. And like, Mate, my sister, so I used to take, you know, when you're taking 50 tablets a day, it was probably more like 30 when I was a kid. We used to have to buy my sister those little like strawberry or orange flavoured vitamins because she wanted yeah. to take tablets too. So oh, like, really? I always say that like my sister for me was a huge strength and gave me a lot yeah. of strength because she made me feel like I was privileged to have what I had. Yeah, and, that's cool. And my family always said to me like, you've got it, but you're going to do amazing things with it. And, you know, I always said that, you know, having, you know, life, man, life is like a game of poker. You get dealt a hand and you've just got to play with it. And if you throw your cards in early and give up, you'll never know what could happen at the end. And, man, I'm just holding on tight. I've, you know, I, I like to say I've got maybe a two and a three. And, mate, I'm just holding on for that river, hoping it's it's going to give me two of a kind or yeah. you know, three of a kind and, and or a four house or whatever it may be. And if you don't hold on, if you don't, if you don't wait and keep plugging along, you're, just n- you're not going to get anything positive out of that. And I had amazing friends who were super supportive of my CF and I'm just in a position where, and I think, you know, like like I said, I have empathy for others with CF because I was blessed where I was born healthy and I was able to maintain that for a lot of my life. And, you know, some people are born with CF and they're quite sick from the beginning and you can definitely gain some of your health back. There's some people doing amazing things around the world with cystic fibrosis. It's not all doom and gloom. you got professional athletes, jockeys, People that are out living amazing lives with cystic fibrosis, but there's definitely a good chunk of the population with CF that, you know, that average life expectancy of 36 to 41 years of age is very real. Um, that 50% of people that die before the age of 27 with CF is very real and will affect most of those people who I can imagine growing up maybe weren't as healthy as I was, would have mm. found it hard to come to terms with why their friends were and they weren't. You know, to be honest, man, it it was hard. The probably thing that I struggled with was watching some of my mates as we hit that very impressionable age of like 16, 17 and, you know, going to parties and doing this sort of stuff where I never drank or took drugs, watching some people, you know, take party drugs and do that sort of thing. It was was hard for me to accept because I thought, man, I work so hard and I take 50 tablets a day to try and – improve my life and these people could take one that could throw it all away and that was really hard to understand for a long time but just as I got older I understood that 
not everyone's got life worked out the way that I do and not everyone's at the same level of mental understanding and and not everyone understands why they're here and how much time they have and how precious that time is yet. And there will be a moment where everyone does. You know, we all we all have it. I just did it at a younger age. I knew yeah. how lucky I was. So now I'm really accepting of everyone and everything and I'm like, you know, everyone goes on their own journey. I just like to lead by example and if I can be the guy that when they want to tackle those, you know, little issues or little things that are holding them back in life, if they can look to me and go, well, this bloke doesn't drink, doesn't take drugs, he's got all this shit going on and he's out there having a crack, living his best life, you know, I can have a crack too. So I kind of like to lead by example with that now. Yeah, man, you're doing great things. I, I had no idea about all of it. I was, I was inspired by you anyway just on the podcast and hearing about all this. Means I'm a lot. Like, wow. Has the, um, the lower life expectancy ever, like, scared you at all or have you always been pretty um, confident that you're quite healthy and thank you, you go on and live a good life? Don't get me wrong, brother. You know, it's definitely, it's in the back of your mind when you come across those little hurdles. But, you know, yeah. I've always said, I was like, man, I'm going to be that old fucker that his kids are going, fuck, when will he die so we can inherit his house and his money? Um, <laughs> yeah. So I'm uh, like, I'm here for the long haul. But it probably just makes you more appreciative of how much, of, of how important, how benefit, like how, I always say time. People say time is money. Time is everything. It's the one thing you can't buy more of. It's the one thing you can't get back. You know, your podcast title, No Regrets, really is is relative and reflective of time. People have regrets because of time. They can't take that back. They can't get that time back. They can't buy any more of it. I've probably just understood how precious that is at a younger age, and that's why, you know, some people, I guarantee, man, there's probably what that guy was getting at when he made those negative comments on my social was he's probably, you know, bridging 30 in a job that he hates, working five, six days a week because he feels that he can't change his lifestyle or, you know, and drop and and earn less money to do something that he loves. Mate, I quit my job to make no money. Yeah, yeah. I was probably, I was staring in the face of probably 100, 120 grand next year and quit my job to make zero dollars just because I understand that time is worth more to me. And if that's, you know, if I die next year, God forbid, um, touch wood, that I don't I don't make it through another year or five years or 10 years or 20 years, I just want to be able to sit there and I've always said that I want to be able to sit there in my last moments and look back on the time I've had and think I've made the most out of it. And, you know, I'm not going to look back and go, oh, fuck, I'm glad I got that Range Rover. That mm. mentally, the seat warmers were fucking superb. I'm going to look yeah. back and go, fuck, I woke up every day with a biggest smile on my face and had the best people around me in my life. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I hope all those things come. You know, I love those little financial wins as much as anyone does. You know, I want to be able to have nice homes and nice cars and nice clothes and go on holidays and treat the people in my lives you know, as much as I can. But I think if they're a financial byproduct of doing something that you love and something that makes you happy every day, God, they're going to feel a whole lot better. Yeah, like those things don't mean nothing if you've had to slave away for them and you're cooked up in it's, some retirement home not happy. Bro, to be honest with you, like I was – so I only earned 65 grand last year. I'm super open with my finances, probably too open with my finances to most people, to be honest. I only learned yeah. like 64, 65 grand last year as a real estate agent. And I was able to buy my first property, which is a really cheap $365,000 
two-bedroom apartment near the uni in Wollongong, which is a steal. Mm. Even people here go, God, that's a steal. Got it for a good price. But I I was earning 65 grand, which isn't much, but it was far enough to live on as a 23, 24-year-old guy at the time. And I reckon I spent I spent probably four times more money than I do right now because every day I was trying to find happiness by going out for the next lunch, going out for brekkie. Okay, I need to go buy another coffee because I'm so fucking bored right now or I'm so unhappy about my situation in the office. I just need to get out. And I was literally spending 50 bucks a day at shout out to Opus Coffee Brewers, one of the best cafes here in town. Um, yeah. <laughs> currently a Lee and me guy though, Benny's listening. Um, and <laughs> I love, I love the guys with Lee and me, the fucking legends actually love them to death. But, um, I was going to Opus every day, which was just around the corner from work. I was getting yeah. there at seven to start doing some work on my laptop. I'd have brekkie coffee. I'd chase that down with a coffee at nine and at 12, I'd chase that down with another coffee and a lunch. And I had all my food at the office but I literally just didn't want to go back and get stuck in the office because then it was going to feel like work. Yeah. And so I was spending so much money to avoid it that yeah. I was like, I could just go home and eat tuna and rice, be happy every day and probably save more money. So yeah, you know what I mean? So I'm just like, you, you don't need much when you're doing it right. Mm, no, it's good. It's good to figure that out at a young age. So Yeah. I wanted to ask you about um, your Dennis Rodman inspired leopard print hair that yeah, you had I've recently. I've got on today too. <laughs> yeah, I love it. People can't see it. I keep forgetting that. But Tell I, us um, about, about your decision to do that and how, like, what, what was the reaction and stuff after that? Yeah, it was interesting, man. So I was sitting there, as most people did, The Last Dance become really popular on Netflix and I think yeah. it was one of the most – I think it was the most popular thing on Netflix for a good month there. And yeah. I was sort of watching it as they come out and – you know, I've, I'm an NBA fan. I really enjoy the NBA, but I'd, I've only watched it the last couple of years. And so I wasn't, you know, super familiar with Michael Jordan and his past and the past of, you know, these NBA superstars. So I was really excited to sit down. And someone like yourself who loves interviewing people and loves learning about people, I was right around it. And I sat there, attention just poured into that series and, and the TV. And I sat there but found myself less interested in Jordan and more interested in this guy that was eccentric out there, mm-hmm. a bundle of energy and was for the, for the most part, very okay with who he was. And I'm, a, I'm attracted to that idea and that energy because I think if you're not being yourself, you're missing out on a few things in life. There's such a power in being comfortable with who you are and being able to share that with the world that I think not a lot of people realize understand or maybe some people don't ever ever get the opportunity to do because they're so socially pressured and so mm. worried about what other people think and I'm, I'm the type of guy that you ask any of my mates I've got some of the fucking stupidest TikToks you've ever seen in your life that make me look like an absolute dick face um, <laughs> but like I don't care because I'm just having fun and I want to make people happy and, and I want to be happy yeah. and they're not they're not the cringe ones that you see on TikTok where I'm licking my lips and Wink of my eyes and shit. You won't, won't get none of that from me. You'll get me dressed up in aluminium foil, lip sync and Vetus and that sort of stuff. So if you're around it, go search me on TikTok. But I'm, um, I'm watching that and I'm watching Rodman and I was like, what a guy. And mm. I thought about it and I thought, you know, I'm in the early stages of a new career with a podcast. 
it would be great to sort of challenge listeners to get around the podcast. I want to grow my social following because I think, you know, as cliche as it said, like sounds, I want to grow my social following and become an influencer. The more people I have following me on on socials, the better chance I have of getting those people listening to the podcast. Yeah. Yep. And I want to get more subscribers on the podcast because it improves my chances of making it financially viable and monetized through ads and all those things. And I thought, okay, I'm going to put out a challenge. I'm going to dye the back and sides of my hair, leopard print, if I can get a certain amount of followers and a certain amount of subscribers. And I I can't even remember the exact numbers now. I think it was like 3,000 subscribers and like 7,000 followers on IG, which were crazy numbers because I'm far from that. And Mm. I I had heaps of people like that thought it was a great idea, but I probably had equally as many people go, you're going to get close and just not follow through with it. Or like you'll get to like 5,000 followers or like 2,500 subscribers and then you'll just not do it. Yeah. I was like, don't doubt me. Like you want, <laughs> you, want, you want to doubt me and see what happens? So I called my barber that night and I said literally that night. I'd had the post up for an hour <laughs> and I called my barber <laughs> and I set, I set a challenge of like 31 days. So it was at the end of April and I said by the end of May I'll do it. And I called my barber and I was like, oi, can you fit me in on Friday? And he goes, yeah, of course, what for? And I was like, I want to dye my hair leopard print. And he was like, fuck, are you going to do that? And I was like, yeah. He goes, are you sure? I was like, yeah. So he got the colours that we rocked up. I didn't tell anyone. I told maybe like two or three people. My mum was like, don't do that. You're so beautiful. Like, don't, don't really do <laughs> You're such a beautiful like, looking person. Like, you're going to destroy your looks. And I'm like, mum, when you're a six out of ten, you can't do much else to bloody drop points on the board. So I just a crack. So I literally, it out. yeah, I was like, I just had a, I had a real crack and it was like that Goldie sort of Rodman. Like we looked at it at the time. We weren't going to do the 33s because like if anyone knows his leopard print cut, it's actually 33s for Scotty Pippen's number. Yeah. And we're like, we won't do 33s. We'll throw one or two in there, but we'll just basically do it like black spots. So we bleached my hair. Then we, painted on like this toffee color and it was quite like orangey sort of gold and then the black spots and we put a photo up leaving there and man it went nuts I had so many people messaging me like fuck you actually done it can't believe it and I literally remember sitting there like well no I've got this and I said I'd leave it on for at least two weeks so I walked out the front door of my house and went for a walk and like I've never seen so many people in my life I remember too, you know Joe Damon, the Kiwi comedian? No, I'll look him up there. Yeah, bro, he's so funny. Look him up. I had him on my podcast, episode 13, and he come on an Insta. i done like a Friday night live on Insta where I had a couple guests come on, like comedians yeah. and musicians, et cetera. And this might have been just before you'll follow me, I think. And um, he come on and I said, and he goes, fuck, bro, I can't believe what you've done with your hair. That's a disgrace. And we're having a good laugh about it. He goes, fuck, that's so bad. And we sat there and I was like, bro, to be honest, like it was so funny because I was walking down the beach and just like everyone wanted to look but was like so worried about looking because they knew I'd notice. And he literally said the funniest thing. He goes, bro, now now you know how it feels to be black. (laughs) And we had the best laugh and I was just like, it it, it took that first day for me to get used to so many people looking at me. And I can imagine so many people were like, what a wanker, like he's doing it for attention or whatever. But it was a publicity stunt that like literally in the space of a month that I had it, after the first two weeks when I was supposed to get it removed, 
I ended up just getting it redone, but snow leopard. So we went like the white and mm. the black, which looked, I thought looked heaps better. Like I actually yeah. quite enjoyed that. And, um, I really enjoyed being stopped by people because it allowed me to, I probably had a hundred conversations in the space for a month with people I didn't know. Really? Yeah. Like, cause I walk every day and, you know, yeah. walk in the middle of the day at the time, people would come up and say, Oh, what have you done that for? And my dad, so my dad's camping at the moment with his partner, my sister and her partner. And he said to me, he goes, Oh, yeah, I was just telling these people that are camping next to us about your podcast. And they said, is that the bloke that gets around North beach with the leopard hair? And he's like, yeah, not anymore, but he did. And he was like, like it, it became a way that people felt comfortable to come out and speak to me, which yeah. then allowed me to pitch my podcast to people, which was the whole idea of it. So I got the yeah. word out there and then I ended up just instead of like shaving the whole head off and like letting it grow back, we just bleached it sort of that whitey blonde color and yeah. now it's starting to get a bit of the regrowth. So, Yeah, I like the well, same with mine now. I've got the regrowth. I like it. Though. I don't mind the regrowth, hey. I'm probably- yeah, it's kind of what I wanted well, on the side. Thing, yeah. Well, my thing is maybe like now going back to – I'll probably go back to brown. Yeah, I think I'll bit. do that. But then I think in summer I'll get the um, get the bleach blonde out again. and when yeah, I, That's, that's what, what I want to do, yeah. yeah. You should get some – um, Tan, it looks better, I reckon. Pardon? When you're cracking a bit of the tan too, it looks good. Like, yeah. Well, I need to redo mine. It's gone a bit yellow, but – um, yeah, you should get some pink shampoo. I was rocking the pink hair for like a week or two. That was pretty I've good. I've seen that. That's pretty bold. That's pretty bold. Yeah. I'm actually, like, I actually like it better. See, I've got a friend of mine. She actually came on the podcast the other night, Kira Jones, and she's a she's a model oh, yeah, over in London. And yeah. she messaged me after I dyed it for the fourth time in a month, and she goes, for fuck's sake, your hair's going to fall out. Can you stop dyeing it? <laughs> and so now I'm like really hesitant to do anything else. I'm like, oh, I just yeah. need a couple months to like, Get healthy again because did yours go like really wiry and strawy? Yeah, I'd be in a shower and it yeah. felt like my hair was made of cement, and I'd be like, How yeah. the fuck do I run my fingers through this? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I think I'm looking forward to just letting it get healthy again. Yeah, I want to, I'm wanting to go full back, back to brown, be healthy, you know, and then just yeah. do it again. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe do it once a year or something. I don't know. Yeah, just see. an event, summertime event, I think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> cool. I like that story. It's funny. Um, we'll just jump into the next segment. It's like a quick fire question segment. I just like to fire questions off and my guess really quick. I like it. So you can, uh, you can talk on them or answer them quickly, whatever you feel. Um, first one would be, what are some common misconceptions about you? Um, common misconceptions. I think, I think maybe, maybe people think I'm a little bit unapproachable because I am so high energy, but literally I'll have a conversation with anyone. Um, yeah. I know so many people, which I love because I love chatting to people from all walks of life. You'll see me chatting to 90-year-olds down the beach having a coffee and you'll see me chatting to 18-year-olds that that I know, you know, from mates or I've got a a young lad that I've become mates with in the last month who he's 18 and I'm 24 and, you know, different walks of life but great humans, you know, love catching up with a bloke. So just maybe that. I think most because my life is pretty much painted on social media right now, there's not many things that people don't know about me. Yeah, fair enough. Who's your celebrity crush if you have one? Ooh, um, it would be probably Leo DiCaprio. Yeah, yeah. Love the what an actor. Yeah, every movie. Oh, it's not a bad movie, man. Catch yeah. Me Again's my favorite movie ever. Yeah, how good is that? I watched that recently. 
So Make sure you fly planes illegally. Like, yeah. I mean, be a fake doctor. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, so impressionable, but it's like it actually speaks to. I think I like it so much because it speaks to like who I am as a human being. And it's like if I get an yeah. idea to do something, I really sure. throw myself in the deep end and figure it out. So yeah. that's why I like it. Fair enough. Uh, next one is I always ask this one: If you could have dinner with five people, dead or alive, who would they be? What would you cook for them, and why would you pick them? Okay, first one, Leo DiCaprio. Second one, Ricky Gervais. Yeah. Um, third one. Third one would probably be Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. Yeah. Um, fourth, I'm going to say Kevin Hart. Yeah. And the fifth, I'll go Margot Robbie. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> Margot, Margot just to have a laugh with and just to look at. She's Gorgeous. Nice to have an Aussie bird on the main stage, you know what I mean? That is stunning. I think yeah. it's the country. Um, but also like I love I love actors because I think, you know, whilst a lot of a lot of people think they're unattainable Hollywood stars that they can't relate to, you know, that is part of it. They're human beings at the end of the day. But I just think the ability mm. to like share stories through a different persona yeah. is so cool. Um, Leo DiCaprio, much for the same reason, but also that's a young guy that was thrust into the spotlight at a very early age and has literally crafted his way through a very tough industry to become probably the best actor I think has ever walked the face of the earth. Mm. Um, Kevin Hart, because did you watch, have you watched on Netflix, Kevin Hart has um, that documentary, Don't Fuck This Up, or whatever it's called. I think anyone, anyone who wants to achieve something or like wants to become a personal brand should watch that because he talks about, you know, like multiple occasions being told he wasn't funny, that he should quit comedy, rough upbringing, very hard upbringing. And I can't relate to that, but I can relate to being someone who is out there doing their best to try and make something happen and and thrive with a personal Mm -hmm. brand. And, you know, I'm going to come across those hurdles of people that don't think it's great or, you know, it taking time to succeed and and seeing that guy set up now where he's got an office that literally has its own voiceover studio, business meeting rooms. Like I aspire to have something like that one day. Yeah. Um, Dwayne Johnson, similar, similar thing has just come from a really hard upbringing and has earned everything, you know, didn't have, you know, wasn't able to buy his way into, into Hollywood, um, has literally worked for everything he has and I think has amazing anchors around his health and his family and his life that even as someone who's grossed a billion dollars in in Hollywood looks like he's a, a very, very well-grounded and good human being. Mm. Um, and Ricky Gervais because I think he's the funniest guy on the planet. Yeah. What would you make for him? Um, oof, bro, I'm, not, I'm no whiz in the kitchen, um, but I do, I do a good medium rare steak. Yeah. Uh, or a good bowl of tuna and rice, bit avo in there for tomato. <laughs> I, don't th- I don't think I'd want to go too. Maybe maybe steaks because I feel like if I went too adventurous, I'd probably yeah. fuck it up. Um, yeah. and, you know, I don't know if they'd be sitting around for much longer. So maybe yeah. a steak main, maybe for dessert. Bro, you know it's good? I'm, I'm a real peanut butter fan. So for dessert, my mm-hmm. go-to every night is I'll just get like a heap of mixed berries and like frozen fruits. And just plonk peanut butter over top. I don't know if they'd be too impressed, but mate, I'd be fucking happy. <laughs> That's the main thing. <laughs> uh, how long does it take you to get ready in the morning? 
I'm a, I'm a real slow morning person. So like yeah. I like to ease. I hate being rushed. Hate mm-hmm. being rushed and I hate being late. I hate being late because I feel like I'm letting people down. And some of the boys will listen to this and go, well, mate, you're fucking three minutes late every morning for a walk. Um, between one of us is always one of us is running a couple minutes behind. But I love to spend like 45 minutes just like yeah. getting up. I have a cold shower before I do anything. Yeah, that's it's good, like, it? yeah 100%. Great way, to, great way to wake you up and just feel like, yeah. you feel like you're invincible. I feel like you can conquer anything. Yeah. I do that as well as swimming in the ocean like an hour or two later. But I like to just feel like I've woken up before I leave the house and that my mind's on. Um, yeah. And even if it's just pottering along, playing with the dog, getting a bit of food, whatever, I like to take my time. Yeah. Um, has there ever been anyone, I, I assume you don't really get nervous, you seem pretty confident, but has there ever been anyone that's come on your show that you've been nervous about the episode? Um, no, not not on the show. I've got Tom Waterhouse coming up. Which really? Is, yeah, so I've booked him in for the 23rd of July so that he's invited me to his office in the Rocks in Sydney. Um, so I'm actually investing a bit of money, probably spend 1200 bucks on getting that professionally filmed by a very good mate of mine and post-produced quite well. Um, yeah. so I think that's going to have a lot of buying power in terms of future guests, whether it be sports, cool. A-list, whatever, business. Um, so I wouldn't say I'm nervous for it, but I just want to make sure I'm well-researched because I'm a pretty off-the-cuff guy. I don't tend to research my guests much. Yeah, Usually yeah. if I'm having them on the show, it's because I, I, I'm, I'm sort of pretty confident that they're going to lead it in a direction that I understand and that I'm, I'm quite proud to support. Um, so I don't normally need to research my guests much, but I think he's the type of guy that I'm going to want to have a few bits of knowledge yeah. up my sleeve. I'll probably, yeah, to be honest, I'll probably get the kid on there. I'll probably do a turtleneck and check suit, I think, for that one. There you go. Um, get it. Redo the leopard print hair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How'd you get him on the show? Did you reach uh, out? Insta-DMs, um, man. Insta-DMs. Really? That's basically how I get everyone on my show. I send yeah, my, my go-to for guests. that I actually send him just an actual message. But my go-to for big guests is I send them a one-minute video message that they've got to open because I think it's very hard to see a video message in your DMs and not open it. So I do, do you have any I, context to it or is it just no, like a – Just straight-up video message. Really? Works a treat. That's, that's because, and I think it also shows message is very hard to understand tone and it's very hard to understand whether you're going to gel to the person. I'd like to think I'm the sort of person that – can make people comfortable pretty quick and make people invested in my energy and my personality. So I think the video message is a really good way of getting a little, almost like a little one minute teaser in for what that podcast and what the energy is going to feel like. Yeah. It's like a perfect elevator pitch as well. hundred percent. And the thing is when you don't have a blue tick next to your name on Instagram, most of those people aren't going to open up just a general message. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's cool. I like that. I might, yeah. I might give it a crack one day. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> um, next one is if you could have anyone like come on your show uh, besides like Joe Rogan, who else would who would be the next top person you'd want on your show one day? Ooh, good question. Um, you, you know, one of the funny things I've found is I've had people on the show now that have had you know, 100,000 followers on socials mm. and big followings and you kind of expect those guests to pop off the most because, you know, they've got a good following and people want to listen to what they have to say. But it's funnily enough, it's the people that have best connection with human beings that tend to Mm. do really well. And I think if I look at 
you know, one guy, and, and I said I think he's the funniest guy on the planet, Ricky Gervais, but if you actually research that guy, he's an unbelievable human. He's an unbelievable human. He talks about quite consistently how he come from a very middle-class family and he lives a life now that he's quite privileged to live, but he's very big on like paying exactly what he's supposed to pay in tax to give back to the welfare system that he grew up in. He's, you know, very, very realistic and he's almost probably one of the most grounded celebrities I've ever met who mm. I think actually produces, whilst his comedy, like it toes the line, it really toes the line on what's socially acceptable, um, but I think he does a very good job of it. He's so funny. His show's like, have you seen Afterlife? Oh, uh, my housemate watches it. Is that with his yeah. wife? Like, yeah, so basically his wife yeah. dies of cancer and yeah, yeah. he basically is suicidal and has a dog. And it's, it's as a guy who lives a very basic Monday to Friday work life and is just trying to find his feet again. I think he's... I think he's a guy I can tell who's been enough through enough in his lifetime that he can really understand the everyday human. And mm. I think that's a guest that I'd love to be able to share the stage with and, and hear a little bit more about. Yep. Awesome. Love it. Cool. Um, just to finish off for the show, I usually like to ask my guests like a quote of the day. Um, yeah. You said a few good ones before, but like if you could give someone just one quote or like a piece of advice for anyone who was trying to, you know, do great things in life or become more confident, whatever it is, what would it be? I'll tell you what, there's a quote that I actually, I have two quotes pop up on my phone every day, two reminders. And there's one that I've had pop up for about a year on my phone. I'm going to, got my phone in front of me, I'm going to read it to you because it's popped up yes, at right. this morning. Um, it says, and then there is the most dangerous risk of all, spending your life not doing what you want on the bet you can buy yourself the freedom to do it later. And I love that because I found in a time for me where I was in a job that I felt would be financially successful and would allow me to do the things I wanted to do later in life, right now you have the opportunity to do the things you want to do in life, even Mm -hmm. if it isn't as fancy or as exciting. Um, If you bet your life and you, you work your life away, you may never get that chance and there's a few people I've spoken to that were on the verge of retirement and, you know, their partners have had a heart attack or a stroke or, you know, not been able to enjoy the life that they so, that they longed for, for, for the yeah. greatest time. And I just think you're present, you're healthy and you're alive now. Um, go out and, and be happy, chase happiness every day because everyone deserves it. Yeah, awesome. Love it. And that's what you're doing now, which is good. 100%. Mate, I'm, yeah, I'm finally walking the walk, not just talking the talk. Yeah, no, that's good because most people aren't able to do that. So, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. It's been amazing. Had a real great chat. Did you just want to um, plug your socials and your podcast as well so everyone else can yeah, well, go have a listen? Get a cheeky plug in there. So, the podcast is on Spotify, Apple Podcast app, and you'll get some of the episodes on YouTube. The name of the podcast is The Bradley J. Driver Experience. Um, dry brace for D-R-Y-B-U-I-G-H. Um, but I think probably the easiest place just to find me and, you know, you'll be connected to the podcast through that is just on Instagram and, um, you'll catch me on Insta at Bradley J. Drybra. So it's, um, you know, pretty basic, but I, I live through Insta a lot of the time and I, I tend to document my days quite a bit. 
not like in a in a vlog way or or that sense but you see basically a lot of who I am as a human being through my social medias and how connected I am to my friends and my family so it's um I enjoy being able to share that with people and I think you know I'm out there living my best life so it's nice to be able to put that put that out there to the world awesome man thanks again for coming on the show it's been amazing can't wait to post this one up mate you're, yeah enjoy, brother. Hey, I'm, I'm very appreciative of you having me on and and like I said I think it's always nice to be sat in front of you know even if it's over over the computer screen sat in front yeah. of like-minded individuals who are out chasing life and happiness as well so credit to your brother thanks man I appreciate that as well cheers Thank you again for listening to the show. As always, I'll express my gratitude to everyone who's listened. It means the absolute world to me. It was an absolute pleasure to bring this episode to you. I hope you really enjoyed it and took some value out of it. Be sure to check out Brad's podcast as well. It's amazing and he's smashing it out at the moment. If you enjoyed this, please leave a review or a comment or a rating, whatever it is, or send me a DM on Instagram. My Instagram's Kai TJ Taylor. That'd mean the world to me. As always, have a good day.